Uh, as Jack said, I'm Richard. For those that uh, have maybe been here for the last three months and I don't know you, uh, I look forward to getting to know you. Jax and I, uh, as has been mentioned, we had the privilege of taking a sabbatical, kind of half time in life. We had a first half of life. We've now got a second half of life to look forward to. Uh, God was exceptionally kind, exceptionally kind. Uh, I, before the sabbatical, was not necessarily a huge believer in having one. Uh, now I want all of you to have one. Uh, just not at the same time. Uh, it would be valuable for us to keep having people to teach. Uh, but I think if you are able, if you in any way are able to take a sabbatical, it doesn't have to be three months, but uh, I encourage you to be able to do it. When we get away with God, we give Him the opportunity to do things that can never happen in the day-to-day -day activity of our lives. And so uh, I have been converted. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 8, verse 1 says this, There's nothing better than being wise, knowing how to interpret the meaning of life. Wisdom puts light in the eyes and it gives gentleness to words and manners. What we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is go into a wisdom series. And uh, this is not John, myself, and Jacks trying to pretend that we are wise, uh, but the Scriptures, which is a collection of writings introducing us to Jesus, some are historical, some are wisdom writers, some is poetry, some is just stories. Uh, we're going to look at what is called the wisdom collection of books, which is Ecclesiastes, it's Proverbs, and it's Job. Uh, again, this is part of the Old Testament. Uh, some may be unfamiliar with that. That's okay. We're going to, in a very short space of time, give a little bit of overview. But actually, more importantly, what we want to do is just seek some wisdom for how to live today. Today is mad. It is absolutely mad. And it is getting madder. And it is, uh, it's just becoming this place where how do we know, how do we make good decisions, on what framework, on what basis, how should we be basing life, what is the meaning of life, what is this all about, here in South Africa, in Durban, in 2023, after all the mayhem that we've gone through over the last couple of years, how do we, how do we make decisions in 2023 to live our life as we desire to follow Jesus, as we desire to live, Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full, how do we live this fullness of life. I'm so thankful that our loving Father in heaven has not kept quiet, that there is subject matter that has actually been written in ages past that is still relevant for today. And so we're going to be looking at that. And today we're going to be looking at this book called Ecclesiastes, which for many, many years, I must be honest, was a book that really made little sense to me. I wondered why, how it had crept into the scriptures, how it had crept into the Bible. Because uh, all it is is this guy just shouting meaningless, meaningless. Everything's meaningless, 38 times, meaningless. Okay, that's it's a, bit, uh, it's a bit weird. Uh, you know, what's fullness of life and everything's meaningless. And so we're going to look at it. I, I uh, have come to appreciate the book uh, through my studies and through other people helping me understand it. And my desire is that I will just help us understand it today, not just as an exercise of understanding Ecclesiastes, but that we would be able to order our life in such a way that we can experience fullness of life. Everywhere we look today, um, I, I just did a bit of a, I, I, I thought that the the best way that I could start off this series was to come with a whole lot of stats. 
And then the stats just depressed me. And I thought, how can I start 2023 preaching with a bunch of stats that are just going to make us morbid? And so I canned that. I canned that. But there was one that stood out to me. Uh, well, they all stood out to me. But there was one that just came from the Center of Psychology. Uh, and it was published in the Psychological Science uh, Journal. So it's a medical journal. And it just spoke around the increasing influence of individualism and narcissism on humanity. I'm going to define that a little bit, but individualism is taking over collectivism. And what is happening is why we're getting these, um, dare I say, dictator-type presidents and rulers of countries that have been for decades and for centuries based on the collective, but this increasing individualism. So they're trying to legislate collectivism, socialism, uh, etc., it's communism, etc., etc. They're, they're, they're just the way of trying to represent what God's design was, but just without God. And so there's just been this increase of individualism, which cuts against community, what we're doing now. There's this narcissism which puts self first. It's quite interesting. I read this week. I don't know if any else, anyone else of you. So for the first time, there's actual medical science, medical proof, brain uh, scan science that says that social media is, uh, is addictive like drugs. And there is a, there is a, a non-profit that has taken in the U.S., because only in the U.S. can you litigate so freely. Uh, in the U.S., they've taken... Meta, which is Facebook and Instagram and Twi uh, uh, Elon Musk and with Twitter, and they've taken all Snapchat, they've taken them to court to make them illegal because it is now, there's now medical science to prove how bad it is for you. Just throwing that out there. But uh, it can be a great tool, but it actually alters brains, and there's now enough history to see the brain alteration. Uh, and so there's this, this increase. So like Instagram, I, it's, love, it's great to be able to get to know what my other mates are doing, but the pressure to also make my life look like that. And so you actually become quite self-centered and self-conscious. Uh, what do I look like? We were on a sabbatical, and I said to Jax, don't post any pictures without my shirt on, please. Uh, we then found out that actually there were no pictures without my shirt on. So if, you've, if you follow Jax and you've seen our sabbatical pictures and you wonder where I was, I was there, I was just... No picture without a shirt on. I lived in the bliss of baggies and slops for three months. Uh, the first time I put on longs was last week, Sunday, and uh, for three months. But uh, we, we have this, this increase in narcissism. This increase, narcissism is a fancy word to say self-centered. Uh, and so this, this selfishness. Okay, so what does that mean, Rich? Well, actually, it has a massive effect on how we view the poor, on how we view climate change, on how we view the Eskom problem, how we treat electricity in our homes. Because we start to make decisions just based on my good, and increasingly the distance is growing where I lack empathy for anybody else. It's each for their own. And so there's this degeneration that's taking place, and Western philosophy of individualism is creeping into collective societies, into China, which has never been that, into Africa, which has never been that. And we're starting to find these increased pressure, these overarching, uh, overbearing political systems and rulers now trying to fight this individualism because actually we know that in, in us is designed to be community. 
There's nothing better than being wise, knowing how to interpret the meaning of life. Wisdom puts light in the eyes and gives gentleness to words and manners. Psalm 14 verse 2 says this, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there is anyone who understands, any who seek God. Can we be those who seek God for this day? How do we live today? We've entitled this, uh, these next couple of weeks, just what on earth should I be doing? What on earth should I be doing? 2023, what on earth should I be doing? As someone that follows Jesus, how are we to do this? Ecclesiastes opens up with this uh, crazy first couple of verses, which I'm going to read. It's not going to come up on the screen. So just uh, listen carefully. These are the words of the quester, or the teacher, David's son and king in Jerusalem. Smoke, nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. What's there to show for a lifetime of work, a lifetime of working your fingers to the bone? One generation goes its way, the next one arrives, but nothing changes. It's business as usual for old planet Earth. The sun comes up and the sun goes down, and then it does it again. And again, the same old round. The wind blows south, the wind blows north, around and around and around it blows, blowing this way, then that, the whirling, erratic wind. All the rivers flow into the sea, but the sea never fills up. The rivers keep flowing to the same old place, and then they start all over and do it again. Everything is boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it. Boring to the eye. Boring to the ear. What was will be again. What happened will happen again. There's nothing new on this earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. Does someone call out, hey, this is, does someone call out, hey, this is new? Don't get excited. It's the same old story. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday. And the things that will happen tomorrow, tomorrow nobody will remember them either. Don't you count on being remembered. Oh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. God help us make sense of all of this. Something of the structure of the book is, uh, and why it's in the scriptures is there's this author of Ecclesiastes, but he, is, he allows this other person, the teacher, to share something of his experiences. And this teacher, uh, fortunately, had the position and the power to be able to do anything he wanted. And so Ecclesiastes is really a book about uh, trial and error. It's about learning life through doing. And in each season, he, this, this, or this teacher was able to try something, get to the end of it, and make a conclusion about it. And that's what we read all through Ecclesiastes. And so I'm not so much doing a Bible or a book study on it, uh, but that's something of the essence of it. But there's two overarching um, uh, kind of pointers that the teacher makes, which is so helpful for the way we order our lives, because he brings perspective in. And he says this, and we see it in chapter 1. Time is something that is not in our control, and yet all of us are subject to it. And so time, nothing really changes. We, we had the privilege of being in the Drakensberg for some of the time of our holiday, and we got to walk up onto a mountain, and uh, you know, we, we can come off the mountain and then come, and when the story gets told of uh, the mountains not telling the story that the Mungavans were on it. The Mungavans are telling the story that we were on the mountain. 
And in 100 years' time, that mountain's still going to be there. The Mangavans aren't going to be there. And there's going to be a new family that's walking on the mountain. And so actually time is one of these things that uh, unless we can get our head around, we can't really make sense of how to live our life. And so this teacher starts to say, time, time is an important perspective. Nothing really changes. I wonder if in this room, any of you know your great-great-grandfather's name? And don't be upset if your great-great-grandchildren don't know your name. Time has a way of doing that. The second thing is this. It gets better, don't worry. There's a reason to my shirt here today. We're going to get to it. <laughs> Death is the second perspective. It's the great equalizer. And so in Ecclesiastes, we, we see quite a few times this teacher saying, this is ridiculous. I, I work to my fingers to the bone and I build up some wealth and then I have to leave it to somebody. And I can't dictate whether that person is wise or unwise. It just goes on. What sense is there in that? And so death becomes the great equalizer. The poor and the rich both die. The wise and the unwise both die. And so through this perspective, the teacher starts to shape his writings of, of the context of meaningless. And I'm going to just define that word or smoke. Uh, but the context of time and death happen to everybody. And it's not in our control. And if we can give ourselves to that, this is the big story. If we can give ourselves, if we can accept the hevel, I'm going to explain that word, accept the vapor, the smoke, the meaninglessness of life, then and only then am I free to enjoy life as I actually experience it, not as I think it ought to be. So if you want to know what Ecclesiastes is about, it's about this. It's a teacher that wants to deconstruct all the ways that we try to find meaning and purpose apart from God. So he deconstructs all of that. He does it through a heavenly perspective of time and death, which is outside of our control. And the conclusion is this, that if we can accept the hevel, the, the smoke, the, the meaninglessness, I'm, I'm going to, again, explain that, of life, I am free to enjoy it as I actually experience it, not as I think it ought to be. Another way of saying that is I can be fully present in both joy and pain and experience that fully alive and still celebrate it because every day is a gift from God. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. And so how do we actually take hold of it? And so this word hevel uh, is this word meaningless if you, if you have the NIV translation, but actually many other translations say smoke or vapor. And smoke is a great word because it's something that you can see, but you try to grab it, there's nothing there. So you can see it, but you can't take hold of it. And so he says, that's what life is like. It's like a smoke. You can see it. There's evidence of it. But you can never actually grab it and take control of it. Control of life is actually in God's hands. He orders every breath that we take. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the one that determines the days of our life. And so if we can become a little less narcissistic, a little less self-centered, a little less in control we can actually become nicer people. The message of Ecclesiastes. It talks about the deconstruction of all the things that we try to find our purpose and meaning in, things like wealth or career or social status or pleasure. This is not the main point of my message, but as you go and read it, you can filter through. But just a couple of things, like dealing with wealth. 
This is the passage that I just referenced. He says this in Ecclesiastes 2, 18 to 22. I hated everything I had accomplished and accumulated on this earth. I can't take it with me. No, I have to leave, to, leave it to whoever comes after me, whether they're worthy or worthless. Who's to tell? They'll take over the earthly results of my intense thinking and hard work. It's smoke. That's when I called it quits and I gave up on everything. This is not what I'm suggesting. He goes on to explain it. That, that could be hoped for on this earth. What's the point of working your fingers to the bone if you hand over what you worked for to someone who never lifted a finger for it? But he teaches. There's some wisdom there. So he, he goes on, and this is just a little aside, like dealing with wealth. So how should we handle wealth? Well, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 6 says, Better one handful with peace or tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. Ecclesiastes 11, be generous. Invest in acts of charity. Charity yields high returns. Don't, uh, don't hoard your goods. Spread them around. Be a blessing to, other. this could, to others. This could be your last night. When we read Ecclesiastes, it's not fatalistic. It's just having a heavenly perspective and the reality of our time here on earth. It goes on to speak about pleasure, etc., etc. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, so I just want to talk about how can we approach life? How can we learn from this book of Ecclesiastes and approach life with an Ecclesiastes philosophy? And there are a couple of directives that this teacher gives us. And so we can either be those that learn by experience. May I suggest that that's not often the best way to learn? Or we can learn from those who've had the experience. May I suggest that God put it in the Scriptures so that we could learn and not waste our time on meaninglessness. See, we all have principles that we live by, a personal philosophy of life. Uh, you may not necessarily have defined yours and put words to it, but you do live by one. Uh, and if I were to watch your life, or if other people were to watch your life for any period of time, I would be able to pick out uh, certain philosophies that you live by, again, defined or undefined. And so just by way of example, understanding that one of the things that Jax and I are trying to, uh, trying to do is uh, we now have a bunch of teenagers in our house, and uh, the natural God order of things is that teenagers go from dependence to independence before they come back into interdependence. And so they're in that independence phase, really pushing away from us. They're really learning about their mom and dad's flaws that we've never pretended not to have, but now they're actually starting to become mature enough to see them. It's a prayer request, uh, but, but what happens, so, so one of our philosophies in this season of life is we want to be parents that say yes a lot, so that our kids don't become independent and push away and rebel, but grow in their independence, but know that their parents are actually a safe place and actually are for their best interests. And so we have chosen that we want to be those that say yes more than no, that our kids live under our yes, not under our no. Now, we all know that teenagers push boundaries, and so obviously that takes training. Obviously that means saying no. But how many times, because of a lack of emotional capacity or a lack of it suiting you, or do we say no to something that actually really is benign? But for our kids, we're starting to shape our relationship. Mom and dad just say no. They're against me. They're not for me. They're not. And so... A philosophy of life for us in this season with our teenagers is let our kids live under our yes, not our no. 
just by way of example. And so something of this Ecclesiastes philosophy of life that we can build our lives around as we come into 2023, but actually as we make life resolutions, not just New Year resolutions. Number one, that we would live life joyfully. Live life joyfully, being a good steward of all its opportunities. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is kind of like a pinnacle point from the teacher. So the teacher writes chapters 1 to 8, and it's all of his experiences of pleasure and wealth and uh, and career and social status. So he, he kind of writes about all his experiences, and then chapter 9 is kind of the pinnacle point, and he starts to work some things out, and then chapters 10, 11, and 12 are some of his conclusions, but 9 is kind of a pinnacle point in this Ecclesiastes book, and so we're going to be basing ourselves there. Chapter 9, verses 7 to 10, just around living life joyfully. Seize life. Eat bread with gusto. Drink wine with a robust heart. Oh yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. I just want to pause there for a second. Our God is not out for us to live lives that aren't pleasurable for us. But there is a difference between, again, narcissism, like hedonism, and enjoying the good things of God. There is a difference between those two things. Take pleasure in your pleasure. Dress festively every morning. Dress festively every morning. Don't skimp on colors and scarves. All you people that dress in black. Some people are, if, you, if you're new to the church for the last three months, some people are laughing because I just wear black. Uh, it's just easier that you, it doesn't show sweat marks, you know. But uh, I'm going to try and dress colorfully. There we go. I'm going to dress colorfully. No, no, no. I'll leave the scarves for the ladies. Relish, that wasn't a sexist comment. If you're a guy and want to wear a scarf, go for it. Don't skimp on colors and scarves. Relish life with the spouse you love each and every day of your precarious life. Each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it and do it heartily. This is your last and only chance at it. For there's neither work to do nor thoughts to think in the company of the dead, where you're certainly headed. But so this is the wisdom that comes from Ecclesiastes. Again, don't, don't harbor on the morbid stuff of that. He's saying we have a life and every day is God's gift to us. And so we get to experience it. If we, if we can live with the perspective of time is in God's hand and death is coming to everybody, and that we can't control everything, if we can live with that, then we are free to enjoy today. We are free to enjoy this moment. We're free to wear pink and blue. We're free to do that and to live joyfully. And so there are a couple of things that, uh, that the, the author writes here, uh, just in terms of how we should live. Oh, as I get to that, just again, we see in Ecclesiastes 6 and Ecclesiastes 7, it's not going to come up. Even if someone lived a thousand years, make it 2,000 but they didn't enjoy anything. What's the point? We work to feed our appetites. Meanwhile, our souls go hungry. And so again, this message of Ecclesiastes is how do we feed our souls? 
live joy, live life joyfully, be a good steward of its opportunities. The first thing we see uh, in verse 7 there, it, just, it, it talks about enjoying the simple pleasures. Enjoy the simple pleasures and cultivate fun, joy, and humor. Cultivate joy, fun, and humor. I'm so conscious that the world is increasingly hard to live in. And that starts to dominate our disposition. And then we want people to come to know this Jesus that we know. But our facial expressions, our language, heck, even our clothes, are the same as those that are allowing the difficulty of life to trump them. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Can we live like that? Can we live like that? When we walk on a mountain and a hundred years we're gone, the mountain's not telling our story. Can we just put a little bit more perspective on the importance of the things that we do? Or a little less importance on the things that we actually do. Can we not take life so seriously? Can we not take life so seriously? Again, this is not about being flippant. You're understanding the difference, I hope. So what does that mean? Have conversations. Have meals together. Play games together. When you feel yourself becoming less fun, enjoying life a little bit less, when you're becoming a little bit more critical, may I suggest that your antidote to that is not pulling yourself up by the scruff of the neck. The antidote is phoning up some mates and saying, hey, come for dinner. And if you are lucky enough to be married and you notice your spouse is getting into a funk, phone up some mates and do that or, or organize something that you know brings life to the soul of your partner. Be social and celebrate. I mean, we've, we've, heard, we've heard this. And so I'm just quoting one research a department here of a university, but it's, it's the same everywhere. At Cornell University, they interviewed hundreds of the oldest Americans. And they asked just this question of, what do you regret the most? And we know the answer to this. I wish I hadn't spent so much of my life worrying. That passage in Ecclesiastes says, enjoy your spouse. Your wife, enjoy. The rabbis, which were the, which are, who are the teachers of the Jewish uh, community, say this. The rabbis teach that a man's wife was his reward in life. Not as property, but she's a fellow heir of life, a sister in the Lord, your best friend. And she is enjoyable. May I ask you this, those that are married... Not to leave out those that aren't, but those that are married. When last did you enjoy each other? When last did you enjoy each other? Enjoy being best friends. Goes on and he says, do what you do with enthusiasm. He says, take hold 
of life. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 6 says, Go to work in the morning and stick to it until evening without watching the clock. You never know from moment to moment how your work will turn out in the end. This is God saying, both, both, both good and bad, it's in God's hands. But let's not be clock watchers. Let's be present in what we are doing. Live life joyfully. Live life joyfully. I have owned up. I, joy is not my, or giving expression to joy has not been my natural uh, ability, expression. And so I have got some people around me to try and help me express joy. I, I really do feel at peace and joyful in my heart, but it's not always lived out. And uh, I want to be better at it. So come on a journey with me. Let's be joyful. Let's have a bit more fun as we realize that life is a bit like smoke, but we have an eternal life where everything is permanent. Number two, accept that your control is limited. Ecclesiastes 9, 11 to 12. I took another walk around the neighborhood and I realized that on this earth as it is, the race is not always to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor satisfaction to the wise, nor riches to the smart, nor grace to the learned. Sooner or later, bad luck hits us all. No one can predict misfortune. Like fish caught in a cruel net or birds in a trap, so men and women are caught by accidents, evil and sudden. See, the unpredictability, of, the unpredictability of life might scare us, but controlling people are not well-balanced people. And so if we can accept that we cannot control all things, that our control is limited, if we can accept that, we are far more able to be present and enjoy the season that we're going in. Just reminded while I was uh, prepping this of, of Psalm 23, the Lord prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. How many of us see the enemies except, as opposed to the table that the Lord has prepared? And our philosophy or our theology often says, how, how can we be celebrating and enjoying when we're in the midst of the battle? Well, God seems to allow that and delight in it. And so we can have pleasure around our table in the midst of the most heated battle if we will allow the theology of God to shape us. Secondly, on this point, life is not fair. You never know when a spanner is going to be thrown into the works. Life is not fair. I, I know time is marching on here. We all deal with time and chance. It's part of the fabric of our lives. And again, if we can surrender to that, if we can surrender to that, we are freer to... Uh, to accept that our control is limited. Number three, choose to be a person of substance rather than image alone. Ecclesiastes 9, 13 to 18. I also saw under the sun the example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts 
of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one, one sinner destroys much good. See, the king had the image, but the poor man had the sense. It is hard as humans not to look at the physical. It is hard. And if we look at the order of life and the way societies build themselves, there is often the, the, organize, the organizing of community that poor people don't have wisdom to offer. What a sad indictment on how, organ, on how communities organize themselves. And a misunderstanding of how God has created humanity and the effect of sin and brokenness on this world. It's hard for us to look beyond the physical. It is better to be unknown and wise than prominent and shallow. It is better to be unknown and wise than prominent and shallow. And so, just if I were to summarize this point it's uh, just with a statement that Jackie's been saying just over the sabbatical. Live life with the goal of being less outwardly impressive and more inwardly substantial. Live life with the goal of being less outwardly impressive and more inwardly substantial. And so as we look at this book of Ecclesiastes, this, this weird book that seems to have so many anomalies in it, that seems to be quite morbid, but actually has some incredible wisdom for us and how to live our lives, I leave us with these three. Live life joyfully, being a good steward of its opportunities. Accept that your control is limited. Choose to be a person of substance rather than image alone. Ecclesiastes closes. In chapter 12, verses 9 to 14, with this. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also import, imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and he searched out and he set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words. And what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. That's a thing that sh helps sheep go in the right direction. Like a sharp thing. Their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For this is the duty of all mankind. We will move on to the Proverbs in the weeks to come in the book of Job as we continue to look at these words that have been found to express how we can live wisely. And so my encouragement to you is go and read Ecclesiastes this week. Go and read it. And, uh, and then ask God to speak to you. Before you just immediately go, I don't understand this, and go to a Google search of what Ecclesiastes means, ask the Spirit of God as we continue to follow Jesus together, as we continue to search out what it is that he wants to say to us here in 2023 as this Anthem community living in Durban. And so uh, thank you for listening. Uh, I trust that uh, in, I mean, 12, 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes is very hard to put into one message. But let's be joyful. I want to see next week a whole bunch more color in this room. Can we do that? Whole bunch, whole bunch more color.
Let's wear the most colorful outfits you can. I know that's going to be a stretch for some of you, but that's okay. That's okay. It is for me too.